Good morning, guys, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Saturday, June 18, another day in paradise. Got a great uh, show this morning, a great room. We've got uh, two fantastic speakers lined up. Uh, Amy Castor is uh, gonna is gracing us with her presence, and she's been one of the uh, uh, most uh, observant uh, and truthful um uh, players, uh, 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 journalists, I would say, uh, in, in the crypto space. And you know, normally we don't talk much about crypto in this room because uh, it's a very controversial subject. Uh, the bulls aren't going to convince the bears and the bears aren't going to convince the bulls. People are pretty dug in. But I think we really need to turn. We've we started to talk about it more in the last you know few days. As some of you may remember, uh, second quarter last year, I was, I was on a jihad against uh, crypto but the time is now. And so we're going to get to Amy in a minute. So um, the, the structure for the room today, we're going to have Amy for, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. And I really want to get to her commentary, uh, you know, as quickly as possible because uh, she, we are on a, t on, a, on a tight schedule. And then later on, I think maybe after about 12 noon, we'll have uh, Helene Meisler come in. So Amy, um, I'm just thinking back to the quote about... Um, from Lenin, you know, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. Things are really moving pretty darn fast in the crypto world right now. And you've been writing about this for a long time. Um, I read your stuff and I think we're of, of like minds. And so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to sort of uh, shed some light on what's really going on because you're one of the most switched on people I know that's been following this space. You know, we, I, I've gotten into a dust up with some people recently on crypto. It's one of the reasons I don't like talking about it. Because, again, I mentioned a minute ago, people have very hard views about this. I got in a big dust up with Nick Carter earlier this week, uh, rather public uh, Twitter uh, tiff. And earlier this morning, uh, a leading crypto bull, you can go look at my Twitter feed, I'm not going to mention names. Um, someone I have a lot of respect for, who's, who's a veteran of, uh, of the finance world. You know, he must be in a world of hurt because the conversation got ugly and I, I refrained from any profanity or ad hominem, but I was just, just appalled. And, you know, look, we've all been in the wrong place at the wrong time, get run over. I can only imagine he's getting destroyed with his crypto right now. But it, it's, it's a controversial area. I think there are a lot of bad actors in this space. Um, and I think, you know, it seems to me that uh, Jerome Powell, tongue-in-cheek, Jerome Powell is now doing what Gary Gensler wouldn't do. Um, so maybe, I, I don't know how you want to do this, Amy, maybe you want to start off with just your overall view, or I can go with questions. I, I guess if you want to, you know, give us a stream of consciousness, that'd be great. Uh, failing that, okay. I, I guess that, that, that'd be a great place to start. And I'm sure we'll get going into questions pretty sure. quickly. So Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. And by the way, all of you, should, oh, thank you for having yeah, and everyone, everyone should follow Amy. She also has a, a Patreon, uh, account. She writes prolifically, no holds barred. So, Amy, have at it. They came here to hear to listen to you, not me. So, Amy, floor is yours. <laughs> floor is yours, Amy. So, um, yeah. So, a lot of exciting stuff is happening right now in the crypto space for those of us who are crypto skeptics that have been following it. And the big thing that happened last night is that Bitcoin broke um, twenty thousand. So it fell below. It dipped below twenty thousand. That was sort of where it was in the last bubble. So December 17th, 2017, Bitcoin hit 
$20,000, right? And at that time, those of us who were following it really thought that for sure the regulators would step in, for sure they would stop this. I mean, we just saw red flags everywhere with stablecoin tether printing <laughs> so many of these stablecoins, dubiously backed stablecoins to push up the market. And um, so a lot of us kind of thought it was over, but then we headed into another bubble, um, probably beginning in 2020. And this one went all the way up to $69,000. Bitcoin hit $69,000 November 9th, 2021. And this year, um, we saw things start to unravel. And what's happening, and it's come all the way down now to $20,000. And that was sort of like the number where we could say, okay, the bubble has officially burst. And we're seeing a lot of these uh, decentralized finance companies, um, crypto companies are unraveling. They're falling apart very quickly. And it's sort of like this fast action the past two weeks where things are just, it's like a series of dominoes that comes crashing over Jenga blocks where you pull one out and everything just kind of falls down. Um, so that's kind of what's happening now. And uh, let me see, George, what do you want me to do? Talk about some of the things I wrote about this morning. I wrote a post about um, why it dropped below 20,000 and why I think it can drop below further. Yeah, that, that, that'd be a good place to start and why. And, and not sure. just it's not just sort of, you know, trying to come up with single price target price point targets is a fool's errand, but sort of. What's going on behind the scenes with the leverage and interlinkages and tether and pyramiding? Yeah. So let me, let me, let me is, mention the, the three things that I talked about in my article this morning that sort of contributed to what pushed the numbers up high. And it's it's sort of important to understand what pushed Bitcoin up to 69,000 because that what's happening is sort of happening in reverse now. It's all kind of coming apart. As fast as it went up, it's falling back down. And there were three things that I noted. One was just the enormous amount of money that the venture capitalists were pumping into the space. Um, as recently as January, A16Z and Dreesen Horowitz announced that they had another $4.5 billion crypto fund to sink into the space. So these big investors were taking advantage of loopholes in, in regulation to just make big money uh, cashing out on tokens. Two A16 directors sit on the board of Coinbase, the largest crypto exchange in the US. Um, so they help make decisions. And, and some of these coins that are produced by these crypto projects are quickly listed on Coinbase. Um, the investors, the insiders can then you know, dump their coins and cash out on retail investors. Um, so that was one of the big things. The other big things was the huge run-up in, in Tether and stablecoins. Tether is the biggest stablecoin. Um, early in 2020,000, there were about 4 billion stablecoins, 4 billion Tethers. And Tether printed another 79 billion, 80 billion worth of stablecoins um, in the run-up in crypto prices. So all those are supposed to be backed by real dollar assets, and we don't know what's backing them. Uh, we have no idea. Um, I suspect not a lot of real money. Um, so there was that. And then there was Grayscale's um, Bitcoin trust. Um, Grayscale had a um, GBTC, which was a way for um, 
retailers to kind of invest in Bitcoin without buying Bitcoin. And what happened is if you were an institutional investor, you could give money to Grayscale and they would issue you shares of GBTC after and GB at, at, a, at, at a price on par with NAV, on, in par with their underlying asset, Bitcoin. These investors could then uh, unload these shares on the secondary market after a six to 12 month lockup period and it would be selling for a premium, a premium that went around 18% all through uh, 2020, even uh, even much higher than that at times. So it was just sort of an easy bet on the price of Bitcoin. And and retailers didn't mind paying that, that premium because why not? If Bitcoin kept going up in value, well, you could just sell it for more money later on. And it was a lot easier for people to get into than, say, having to deal with um, custodying their own Bitcoin. So this sort of created what was a call, what we call a reflexive Ponzi, where it just pulled billions of dollars of cash into the Bitcoin market. More Bitcoin was bought. Um, people were selling GBTC. And a lot of these, um, let me say, crypto banks, if you will, uh, DeFi companies, high yield farms, were um, using GBTC to promise um, high yield investments. So you could, you know, buy these tokens or whatever, or lend out your, your, your Bitcoin and you'd get, they would promise these just absolutely ridiculous high returns. So they were obviously Ponzi schemes. So um, last month we saw uh, Terra Luna um, UST stablecoin, which was an algorithmic stablecoin. It was basically back for nothing, but supposedly there were like 18 billion of this, um, asset in the market and that just came tumbling down and that was sort of like uh, DeFi's Bear Stearns moment if you will <laughs> um, and then it, it sort of set off this sort of shift where the wrecking ball was then in action and it just has been Celsius came down um, there were smaller outfits like uh, eight or, or than three Arrow's capital came apart. Uh, smaller outputs like FinBlocks and Babel soon followed. Um, and other things came along. The miners, the Bitcoin miners, which have been borrowing money from their uh, Bitcoin buddies, Grayscale, uh, DCG, um, they haven't been able to borrow any more money. So now they've been selling off their Bitcoin. And all this has sort of come together to just pull down the market. So it's just been this sort of <laughs> unbelievable thing to watch for those of us in the space. Amy, Amy, you couldn't like, make you couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. Uh, it's yeah, just well, you told me to go on, so I, I keep. Yeah, you, you know, you know what, you, you know what, <laughs> Amy, Amy, I'm going to let you rest for a second. I'm just going to read a couple <laughs> sentences. I'm going to read a couple of lines from uh, your piece this morning. And again, I urge everyone to follow Amy on Twitter. She does does a fabulous job. I mean, she's out there. So many other journalists are just shilling uh, for, 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 for certain interests or just regurgitating what they're told. But I just want to quote from the last few paragraphs here. This is just brilliant. Uh, what happens next? The support levels broke. Someone got wrecked hard. More support levels will follow with further precipitous drops as the failures continue to cascade. Uh, by the way, your prose is unbelievable. Here we go. Is that it's my story huge... from this morning? This oh, is the story from this morning. This is a... okay, okay. No, no, it's no. A no. Huge... Are you reading Latecomer's Guide? No, I'm no, I'm re I'm reading. Hold no, I'm reading Attack of the 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm reading. I'm reading David's. I'm reading. I'm reading. I'm reading David's. I'm reading David's. Okay, but so that's, but you... that's a separate post than mine, though, George. I wrote something. He and I wrote. David Gerard is another popular yep. Bitcoin skeptic, and he often and I often write things together. He's right. um, quite a few hours ahead of me, so he and I were working on posts about Bitcoin's fall in price, uh, in price separately. And what you're reading from. Um, George is from David's story, not mine, right? Got now. it. Got it. Okay, so I've got, I've got, but I got a little but confused that's okay. here because you, because you, yes. you. So let me, maybe you can just comment on this then, because is 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 you know what part of this you agree with, endorse, and I imagine some of similar mind. Maybe some part of this you take exception to, but let me just excerpt a couple sentences here. I love the prose here. It's a huge Rube Goldberg machine, slapstick custard pie clown car where each mm -hmm. custard pie triggers three more custard pies. A clown's tie pops up, causing three other clown's ties to pop up. Several tons of organic cow manure fall from above. The clowns stick their heads up out of the poop, proclaiming how clean they are. And what a mess everyone <laughs> else is. I mean, Amy, why is this all happening all at the same time? Is it because they're all like cross collaborators? Why, all, all, why are they all blowing up at the same time, Amy? Um, well, just as I said, I mean, all those network effects that work to push the price up um, are, are working reverse to push them down. And what you had was just basically, um, I mean, that was David Gerard's prolific, that beautiful prose. He has a wonderful way of putting things. Um, is that is that you had these companies that were just sort of Ponzi's invested in other Ponzi's, invested in other Ponzi's. So, you know, there was no way once one thing started to topple, it was just they all started everything fell apart and and this is just the beginning too george it's not um you know it's it's there there are more firms that are going to continue to, to fall it's it's pretty amazing to watch actually and Amy, it's also sad it's tragic no no it, it, people that are getting wrecked i know and, and the really sad thing is it means many of us you're in the vanguard myself others we've seen this coming but our, 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 our proclamations are really falling on deaf ears, which leads me to the next question, Amy. Um, you know, behind the scenes, what's your sense of what's going on in the minds of the regulators? Is it is it regulatory capture? Is it they're overwhelmed? Is it they're outmanned? Is it they don't understand? Oh. Is, is, is it Hester Pierce, you know, who's, who's a maxi? Oh, like, like wh George, wh where are the regulators, Amy? Where are the regulators? That's a good question. Where, where are the regulators? Um, you know, I think it's a shame that they didn't take stronger action in 2017. And we just sort of it, were in disbelief. And when I say we, I'm talking about David Gerard and, and all the other crypto skeptics, because we sort of band together and talk together and share information. We were in disbelief that nobody did anything. So what happened was because there were no regulations in place, because nobody had stepped in to take firm action in 2017 and afterwards. I mean, they did call the end to the ICO grip, the initial coin offerings, that stopped. But it just sort of, it, the, uh, the bubble built up again because there was nothing to stop it, right? And this time it just got so crazy big um, with COVID, with the stimulus money, all that cash flowing into the crypto space, right? Um, that the disease just spread. I mean, it just metastasized. Now you had people with lots of money and they, they, were, they were feeding that money into politicians, right? They were lobbying um, Washington and having a greater influence over the rules that were made. 
So I think that was just part of it. And I think the SEC is also very slow to react sometimes. When it got this big, it gets to the point, um, well, now it becomes very difficult to step in. And sometimes, as we saw with Bernie Madoff and his Ponzi, the SEC doesn't step in until everything falls apart, until people get really hurt. And I, I do believe that's what we're going to see now. And there's also Tether. I mean, if you look at this, there's all these Jenga blocks. And, and the one big block at the bottom is, is Tether, this stable coin, right? And we've been expecting, there were at one point 83 billion Tethers. That's 83 supposed dollars. It represents dollars because they, $83 billion sloshing around in the cryptocurrency system. Um, $83 billion tethered, tethers because they're not, they're not backed by real dollars. They're, they say that they are, but they're not. Um, sloshing around in the crypto system, pushing up the price of Bitcoin, pushing up the price of all these assets, luring the retail investors in who thought that the numbers were just going to go up and up and up. Um, so, so what's going to happen to Tether? Well, we've been waiting for a long, long time for the Department of Justice to step in and, and take care of this. To, to, to shut down Tether the same way Liberty Reserve, an earlier centralized currency, digital currency, was shut down in, in 2013, okay? That was shut down. And, and we've been waiting for them to pull the plug on Tether and the execs, um, uh, the Tether execs, and that hasn't happened yet. But we know that with Liberty Reserve, that took working across multiple jur jurisdictions. It was a huge effort, but um, Nate Anderson of Hindenburg Research has predicted that Tether execs will end up handcuffed before the end of this year. So I don't know, we're still waiting for that. But once Tether gets pulled down, I think that will really, really see a drastic um, fall in price of Bitcoin to numbers that just haven't seen since the early yeah, days. Yeah, so, so Amy, let, let me ask you about that. Cause you mentioned, I think, um... You used uh, you, one of these uh, coins you mentioned is uh, maybe it was Luna. You said it's kind of like Bear Stearns, but, but it was a great analogy someone put on Twitter a couple weeks ago. They said, yeah, Luna was Bear Stearns. Tether is going to be the Lehman moment. I mean, could you explain why Tether is so important? Like that really is the mother load that if Tether goes down, it's going to be just totally nuclear. Like why is Tether so important? So, so Tether, you have to understand, and you know this, George, too, is that um, a lot of the, the price of Bitcoin is set on offshore exchanges like Binance, Bitfinex, um, these large offshore crypto exchanges, but they cannot get um, banking. They, they, the banks want nothing to do with them because there's no KYC because it looks too much like money line, but they need some sort of dollar representation. So, so what they have instead are is this stable coin, stable coins. So stable coins are essential to the crypto uh, verse because that's your way to go in and out of these volatile assets, right? Um, and move about. So so tether became a replacement for real dollars, right? It, and tether initially had said that, hey, by you know, you give us one dollar, we'll give you one tether, and it's sort of like this IOU. Um, but um, and tether just kept printing, issuing more tethers, kept issuing. I mean, sometimes a billion billion tethers at a time. 
And there's never been any clear understanding, any clear picture of what is backing those tethers. At one time they said they were real dollars. We have no idea what's backing those tethers. Tether has never had a real audit. They've just had these occasional attestations and, and it's sort of been, don't worry, everything's fine. Um, but nobody really has a clear picture of what's backing tethers. So, right. um, and I, I mean, I think it's sort of an open secret that is just a gigantic fraud. Yeah, kind of. Could you speak a little yeah. bit about the exchanges? And um, I just think that you know, FTX, Binance, like, and 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 the the not exactly arm's length relationships they have with Tether and these other coins, and how they conveniently close down when the going gets tough. Like, why is nothing? Why is how? What? Is, I mean, it looks to me it's pretty blatantly obvious. They're just complete cahoots with the whole thing, and so. Talk a little bit about about, about FTX and and and, and Binance and, and the role of the exchanges in this whole thing. Because to me, it looks sure. like they, they got the, they got the chicken and they got they got the fox in charge of the chicken coop. So it's yeah, like, the, the exchanges are tightly connected with with Tether and Tether, by the way, um, and Bitfinex. Bitfinex is another offshore Bitcoin exchange. is a sister company to Tether. So these exchanges are creating their own stable coins. And it just happened to be that Tether was the earliest and the most popular and the most widely used stable coin. Um, so, for example, FTX is Tether's largest customer. Bitfinex is the company that issues Tether because that's their it, it, it run by the same people as Tether. Um, now, when you talk about we don't know what goes on behind closed doors at the exchanges because there's absolutely no oversight on these offshore exchanges. And just to show you the sort of shenanigans that can happen as exchanges, um, let me bring up the example of Quadriga CX. In 2017, we had the last Bitcoin bubble. It ran up to $20,000. In 2018, the price of Bitcoin started to, show, to fall. And when the price of something starts to fall, you have these shakeout and Ponzi's. And we saw a little bit of that in 2018. The biggest example of that was a, a very large, the largest Canadian crypto exchange at the time, which was called Quadriga CX. Um, and and Quadriga CX was run like a Ponzi scheme. At some point later in 2018, nobody could get their crypto out. People weren't able to get cash out of the exchange either. Quadriga CX, that also did not have links to the traditional banking system. They had what they called quad bucks, which is what you saw in your account. So Quadriga CX failed in 2018. The, the CEO of that exchange disappeared. Um, he died mysteriously in India and the exchange went bankrupt. Um, Canada was a high trust society People couldn't understand what the heck happened there. How could this happen in Canada? It turned out that the exchange had no oversight, that it was one person running it like a run one-man band, and they had investigations. And that then gave us a very, very clear picture of what was happening at this completely unregulated exchange. And people's just jaws dropped. They couldn't believe it. I mean, Gerald Cotton ran this like a, a huge Ponzi scheme. Um, he was making up numbers. He had made up accounts with, with that were run by people like with people called C3PO um, that 
were just being funded with fake crypto, with fake money. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And there was barely any real money back in there. And, and the creditors are they're still waiting to get their money out of the exchange. So that gave you a very clear window into how this particular unregulated exchange operated it was because it was operating in Canada um, that we were able to see what was happening. Nobody could believe that. So I kind of think of that as an example of what could be happening in these other exchanges. Well, right now we don't know what's going on. We just know what they tell us. So I imagine when things really fall apart, when people step in afterwards to say, uh, what happened? How do we explain this crypto apocalypse of 2022, which we're witnessing now in real time, that we are also going to see these just uh, unbelievable things were happening behind the scenes uh, once Amy, we get a better Amy, picture. Yeah, Amy, that's really well said. Let's go to a few questions here. Um, and by the way, if you if you have a question, you're in the audience and I haven't uh, recognize you uh please send me a direct message with what your question is if i don't know you uh, i'm not going to allow you up on the stage without knowing what your question is first uh first i'd like to go to, to carol van cleef uh, carol welcome to the stage you have a question for amy carol um well thank you george for bringing me up um uh i'd just like to actually make a couple of observations and i appreciate amy's perspective of i've actually been in digital currencies before Bitcoin uh, and uh, have had the opportunity to watch all the different types of things that Amy has uh, 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 very nicely summarized uh, uh, in a matter of a few minutes. I actually started by representing a gold-backed digital currency system in 2008 that had run heads first into the federal government and was prosecuted. Um, uh, because of the experiences I had on the backside, I was hired after the prosecution to help them get regulated correctly. Uh, it gave me a front row seat into um, the development of the, the whole regulatory system or lack thereof uh, around crypto over the last several years. So for those of you who've heard me speak in other kinds of, of, of settings, um, you may have a you have a little bit of a sense of where I come from. Um, I'm very big believer in the technology that we are in a fundamental shift with respect to the way we conduct our transactions um, with respect to uh, different types of, of currencies, different types of financial instruments. I was up there many years ago telling people once people on Wall Street, the real the, the, the financial engineers who've been engineering financial products, you know, going back to even pre-2008, really got an understanding of this technology that we would be headed towards a crisis um, that far exceeded anything we saw in 2008 um, because the technology allows for the speed up, for, for the creation of instruments not dissimilar to what we saw, you know, leading up to 2008, but it um, speeds it up because it's so much faster in what it does. Um, the lack of regulatory oversight uh, is both a godsend and it's a curse. And we have certainly seen that play out. Um, I spent the better part of about two years, starting in 2019, to try to develop a, uh, a, a product for the marketplace to uh, provide greater information on stable coins. And after a lot of hard work, we realized there really wasn't a market there that nobody really wanted to buy it. That <laughs> if you looked at the numbers for Tether, uh, that uh, the Tether uh, numbers were, um, uh, you know people needed something to transact and transact effectively. 
we've seen bits and pieces of regulation, you know, sort of move into place. I would love to take Amy, you know, sort of point by point, some things we could talk about. One of the things with respect to Tether, and I'm not defending Tether per se here, but Tether is now as a result of the New York AG's uh, more than two year uh, uh, efforts, is disclosing at least on a quarterly basis the mix of assets that are backing Tether. Um, I think it's also fascinating to watch what's happening. I think the problem is, is to shut down Tether today, you would really uh, do a, you would seriously dislocate the markets because it has a $68 billion uh, market cap, which is really the amount in circulation. And often that much or more circulates on a daily basis. And that's a lot of volume that exceeds any other cryptocurrency by multiple factors. Um, so there's a lot of complicated issues here. Um, the reaction of the regulators is, as I said, it's, it's a little bit disappointing in that they haven't had their eye on the ball. But I was into the Fed back in 2013, 14, 15, even 16, and saying, hey, what are you guys doing with respect to Bitcoin? And the response I got is, it's not big enough for us to pay attention. Hey, 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 Carol, let me interrupt for a second. Let me interrupt for a second. Okay. So especially because you, you, you've been in the weeds on this and, and, and I haven't. I mean, anyone who can read financial statements understands basic finance can see what the questions are, what the vulnerabilities are. So how do you explain the fact that regulators have done next to nothing about all this? What is your explanation for that? Um, I'm not... I'm not making any excuses for them. And I will also say I'm a lawyer and not a financial person. Um, um, part of it's staffing. Um, part of it's, you know, is a regulatory mentality that they typically will stay in their lanes until they're forced out of their lanes. Um, and certainly with the federal regulators, um, that's, that's the case. You know, if you go back to Bitcoin's not big enough, we'll pay attention when it gets big enough. Um, when they finally realized about this time last year, almost to the day, um, that, uh, wait a second, uh, these things called stable coins and Tether in particular may present a systemic risk. What happens if it goes down? What happens if it's got too much of its assets committed to, uh, it, I think the rumors were at the time, uh, the Evergreen Project in um, uh, in China, uh, when, what happens if suddenly there's a run on tether, what kind of implications could that have? Not just for the crypto space, but for the broader financial system. That was the real aha moment. I think that happened, uh, with the regulators they had for about a year before that been looking at stable coins and, you know, starting to get themselves educated on it. Interestingly enough today, you know, we, we hear a lot, we've seen a lot in the press in the last year on stable coins and the fact that, you know, we, Janet Yellen, tre uh, Treasury Secretary, calling for, you know, immediate action uh, with respect to stable coins. Uh, and if you talk with people on the Hill, uh, they're the first to say that, you know, if anything happens this year in terms of legislation around crypto issues, it's going to be with respect to stable coins. However, and this is a huge however, all of the focus to date on stable coins on Capitol Hill and in the agencies has really been around uh, the fiat-backed stable coins, which Tether would fit into that category, not the algorithmic, which is what uh, Luna Terra uh, right. involved. Uh, yeah. 
And there's no way they will ever possibly get their heads around the algorithmic in time. Yeah, I, I, I know you're going, you're going, you're going from the frying pan to the fire. That's it. Let me ask, let me raise, I want to get some more questions here, but let me, let me just make, let me push back on one point you made. Um, you know, a lot of talk has been said, oh my God, you know, if, 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 these, if, this, if, if all this crypto stuff blows up, if Bitcoin goes to zero, it's systemic risk, yada, yada, yada. I completely disagree with that. If you just do a little bit of number, a little bit of calculation, and let's just use back of the envelope now. Um, with around 19, 20 million coins outstanding at a price of uh, 19,000, you're talking upwards of 380 billion of market cap. Please keep in mind, though, the non-hodl portion of that is only about 20% or 75 billion. Uh, if we then look at the entire crypto uh, market cap, it's roughly double that. So I would argue there's maybe, I don't know, 150, 200 billion worth of value to be destroyed. Uh, if, the, if the wall were to disappear tomorrow, and keep in mind, you know, like the vast majority of crypto, like Bitcoin, for instance, is held by a, a relatively small number of accounts and they haven't traded that stuff for years. And so you compare those, and my point here is, is accuracy, not precision, it's orders of magnitude. So where it's 200 billion, 300 billion, 400 billion, I'd like to point out for everybody in this room, you've seen a $9 trillion destruction or loss of wealth in U.S. stocks already this year. So Bitcoin, and if all crypto disappeared tomorrow, okay, you know, it, it would be it would be, it'd be a pittance compared to the wealth destruction we're seeing. So this idea that, oh, it's going to prevent systemic risk, A, in terms of absolute dollars involved, poppycock, and then B, because of the regulatory authority, none of the banks are involved in this, at least not directly. And so whereas in the past, you know, if real estate blew up or the stock market blew up or the bond market blew up, they're worried about bank capital adequacy, the banks have been forbidden for participating in these markets. So I completely reject out of hand the idea that um, this is going to going to present some systemic risk. And actually, you know something? I, I, I don't know if, if, if there's sort of deals cut in back rooms behind regulators or there's certain things they can or can't do or don't want to be seen to be doing because they don't want to be fingered as the proximate cause for why the whole thing blows up. But I made the tongue-in-cheek comment 20 minutes ago about Jerome Powell doing Gary Gensler's job for him that, you know, if you accept the proposition that these crypto assets, Bitcoin and all the rest, are, are just hyper-liquidity driven, you know, supercharged risk assets, and now that the Fed's draining liquidity and they're going to go into QT, and it's causing all liquidity-driven assets to collapse, so be it. Uh, you know, Jerome, I actually have said this tongue-in-cheek, the Fed made crypto, the Fed is going to kill crypto. Um, and so it's almost by the time the regulators get to doing anything, the die will have already been cast. But but anyway, so enough of that, Rand. I'd like to bring a couple speakers in here. I want to make as participatory as possible. Alex, you had a question. Do you have a question for Amy or for Carol? Alex, floor is yours. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, George. And, and appreciate everything you're doing here. For Amy, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on the Celsius network with Alex Mashinsky and the headwinds they've faced here over the last, you know, 72, 96 hours, essentially shutting down. Um, they did present themselves as if, you know, they were, if not actually regulated, they aligned with uh, U.S. banking regulations. But it, it appears that, you know, that's you know false at this point. Thank you, George. Uh, well, obviously, they weren't regulated. <laughs> they kind of kind of tried to sell themselves as a crypto bank. And I think that um, Celsius sort of went against the bank saying, hey, you know, the reason when asked, you know, why is it, how is it you're able to off offer 17% uh, returns 
and the banks were offering, you know, barely anything. And he said, well, either, either, you know, the banks may be lying, you know, but we don't have a middle person. So um, we're able to just give you all the profits, but you know, anytime a company uh, says they're going to offer 17%, I mean, that's just absolutely ludicrous. I mean, it's obviously a Ponzi. So I don't know what he was thinking. Um, you know, it was just a matter of time before it fell down. I think a lot of these Ponzi's were based on this sort of collective delusion that Bitcoin was just going to go up and up and up. That And, and for Bitcoin to up, go up and up, you just had to keep having more cash coming into the system. And that's what happened is, is there wasn't really any more actual dollars coming into Bitcoin. The retailers, it's sort of all... Right. And, and Amy, could you just elaborate on a little bit? Because um, you touched on it in one of the articles you wrote, and everyone kind of knows this. Maybe people who don't, aren't definitely with the space don't know it. But explain how, you know, the, the, the incestuous relationship between the between the miners and some of the financial intermediaries, because, like, you know, the miners mine these coins. Ultimately, they want to sell them. But explain how, you know, they weren't necessarily selling them. They were borrowing more money, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just explain that. Just elaborate on, on what you wrote in one of your articles about the relationship to some of these lenders, some of the exchanges, the lenders and the miners. Yeah, it, it, it does get kind of complicated. I think that's why so many people had trouble understanding why it eventually everything's going to fall apart because it's hard for somebody just sort of getting into it to understand all these interconnected relationships and how it was sort of all set up to fail. So the miners, the Bitcoin miners mine about 900 newly minted Bitcoins per day. That's how they make their profits. But they also have enormous energy bills. So they're not like other crypto investors or crypto firms. They have to sell those Bitcoin because the Bitcoin network consumes about an entire country's worth of energy. And we know that uh, energy costs have gone up, electricity, gas, all that's going up. At the same time, the price of Bitcoin is going down. So you kind of can see where that's going because the Bitcoin markets were so thin any, any large sell-off in Bitcoin can just easily set the price tumbling down um, and to cover their other business expenses. Uh, they, you know, all these Bitcoin miners had moved out of China um, and many of them were relocating to the United States. They were borrowing money from other cryptocurrency companies, mainly Galaxy and um, uh, DCG. So um, they couldn't borrow any more cash. They're, they're, they had to pay back some of those loans. So they had to then sell their Bitcoin. So they're selling their Bitcoin faster and faster now. And that's kind of um, helping to pull down the price of Bitcoin. But all these kind of companies, I mean, if you look at it, you scratch the surface a little bit, you see all these interconnected relationships. It's sort of like one big entity. Right. You can almost figure it as one big entity. And um, this huge, gigantic organism we call the cryptoverse, the crypto economy was essentially running out of cash. There wasn't any real dollars in the system and it had run out of new ways to bring real money into the system. So it was just a matter of time for everything to collapse. That's great, Amy. Uh, I would want to go to Shrub. And, and by the way, I see a number of people have their hand raised. If I don't know you, 
you need to send me a direct message to tell me what your question is. Otherwise, I'm not going to let uh, people up on stage because this is a very charged issue. And um, I, I just don't want to. We're having a great conversation here. We've got Amy Castor and, and, and Carol Van Cleef up, and I, I want to keep it on the rails. Uh, Shrub, good to see you. Do you have a question, Shrub? What's up? Yeah. Hey, George. Um, it seems like once crypto dies, maybe we solve the energy crisis. Anyway, but that's besides the point. Um, just on Tether, so Madoff was a 60 billion uh, Ponzi. Tether looks like it's 80 billion. Um, but obviously, Madoff was like a sideshow in the whole hedge fund industry, whereas Tether is actually in the, it's actually in the heart of the ecosystem. So it's, it's very important to crypto. Now, Madoff had a secret sauce that he didn't disclose, which ended up being a Ponzi. Tether was asked by the FT how they do it, and they said, we have a secret sauce. They actually used the words secret sauce, which to me kind of is like indirect admission that it's a fraud. Um, so the, the other point I want to raise with Tether is um, there's been a carnage in the bond market. So even safe investment-grade paper has been down 20% this year. The only bond fund I know that hasn't lost any money is Tether. No one's talking about this, and I'm really, really surprised. So if they're sitting on $80 billion of commercial paper that we don't know what's in there, and they had no losses, that kind of validates my view that this is a fraud. So my, my question number one is, when does this unravel? When? And the question number two is, regarding the regulators, uh, I'm actually more cynical. I think because the crypto exchanges and crypto funds have given so much money to celebrities and regulators to become their compliance officers and all that, I think the money swishing around the system has actually uh, made them kind of part of the system or has eased the regulatory burden because of the lobbying around. They're trying to legitimate it, legitimize the industry by throwing money at it and you know naming uh, stadiums after them. So I think that's one reason in my <laughs> cynical view why the regulators haven't been more active around this. So question number one, when does it blow up? When, when does Tether blow up? And two, do you think the regulators are actually just uh, looking for a cushy retirement job at Coinbase? You know, isn't, isn't, uh, was that question directed at me? Because I, 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 I did want to respond. It is kind of sad. I mean, we've seen several instances of regulators um, promote cryptocurrency while they were serving their terms. And they did so in a way that would set themselves up so they could take cushy jobs at crypto firms afterwards. I, I mean, that's pretty sad. Um, and also the other thing that you mentioned was, yes, there's the, 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 the cryptoverse has gotten so big, there's been so much money in it that they have used this to fund powerful lobby, lobbying efforts and influence more politicians. And we've seen a number of politicians come out and just do just say crazy things about crypto, promote crypto, and there's just numerous examples of that. And it's it's just a real failure of our system. And the other question was, when is Tether going to collapse? Yeah, I don't think I don't think that Tether will actually collapse until um, the Department of Justice steps in and and takes action against um, the people behind Tether. Now note that the three big executives in Tether. We haven't heard from them in a long, long time. There's just two individuals that talk about Tether on, on Twitter um, a, a lot. And they post blog posts and whatever, and they keep trying to boost confidence in it. But it's, 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 it's clearly a real shady operation. If they really, really wanted to um, 
you know, uh, make us feel good about uh, what's back being tethered than they would have done a full audit. And they've just been making one excuse after another for years now about why it's not possible to do that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me interrupt you on that because I don't know if you heard it, but about a month ago, <laughs> it was the strangest of circumstances. I find myself in a Twitter space where I was allowed to question uh, Paolo Arduino and it, it, it got like a million hits, I think, or something on, on Twitter. And it was almost like, you know, I've been, I've been following this guy for a year. I can only imagine what the Navy SEALs felt like when they came face to face with um, Osama bin Laden, you know, in his house and there, and there are no bodyguards around him. And his, li his lies, his, his denials, his non-answers, he just dug himself into the ground deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I'm going to ask you a question, which I think you already answered, but but just to, 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 to with emphasis. And, and Carol, if you want to answer this, this is for you as well. Why doesn't Tether produce a complete audit the way they promised that they would already four years ago? It's in it's in their best interest if they're legit. I mean, if you're if you're accused of a heinous crime or having cooking the books, the easiest way to dispel that charge, refute that charge. Mr. Kung claim with the with the with a full set of reporting well, accounts. They, they, obviously, they're the only, George, they're yeah, lying. They're obviously. lying. I mean, they're obviously lying. I mean, that's the clearest answer. It's the most obvious. Of, of course. Know, sometimes so, when, so, so, you, so, so, when you break so, things down, the answer right. is very simple. It's because they're I, I, lying because they don't Amy, have Amy, all the money Amy, Amy, hundred percent. Okay, so now I'm going to go back to Carol now. So Carol, it's obvious. To, I mean, I know you're a lawyer, not a financial person, but it's very obvious to anyone. Who's, who, 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 I mean, and by the way, it's, you, you should go listen to the, to when I, when I questioned him, it parallels perfectly the questioning of Enron executive Jeff Skilling in the infamous 2002 conference call. Like, why can't you come up with audited financials? So Carol, how do the, how do the regulators like allow this, Carol? Uh, may I first ask, uh, have you looked at the, uh, the quarterly audits that are being presented uh, in, uh, to comply with the requirements of the New York State AG. Okay, okay, so, okay, so let me be very careful here. Carol, with respect, and I'm going to behave myself because I do have a tendency to get hot sometimes, those are not audits. Those are attestations. There's a, okay. huge, there's a huge difference, okay? And, and I in, think... In, and no other, no, in no other industry, in no other industry, and I've been in that since for 41 years, I grew up Fidelity. I worked for Peter Lynch. I've run billions of dollars. You can talk to Shrub, who runs hundreds of billions. In no other industry on the uh, anywhere in the world are attestations deemed to be acceptable. Um, I appreciate you pointing that out to the listening audience because that is a, a an important point. It. I will go back to say that you know last year this time when the Fed finally sort of raised its hand and said, hey, there may be systemic issues with stable coins. It was in the wake of the first of those attestations becoming public. What was important about the attestation at the very least was it broke down the amount of, of uh, fiat versus uh, government paper versus commercial paper so that the world for the first time got a much better feel for how much of that what was backing tether was commercial paper right but, yeah, but carol if i can interrupt to be fair that was nothing that was not because of the federal government the first attestations were produced earlier as part of the new york ag settlement with letitia james all right so 
the, 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 the alphabet agencies of the federal government have been completely MIA. They've been talking the talk. They're not walking the walk. So, so, so I don't understand, again, I don't understand what the, 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 the government agencies, the federal government agencies think they're doing here. They've done absolutely nothing. They, oh. yeah, it's, it's great. They have, they have this hurried, you know, this summit meeting was almost this time last year, you know, yelling and pal and everybody else. Oh, we got to do something. We got to do something. And it's a great photo op. They didn't do anything. Nothing happened. Um, I, I don't disagree. The conversations did get uh, notched up a few degrees in, in Washington. Um, um, what I, I can say, well, so first of all, to a couple of comments that were made uh, a minute ago, um, uh, it sort of harkened back to a conversation I had with a friend of mine who had been uh, in the CIA. And when he told me that he had been in the CIA uh, and I then proceeded to uh, put all my conspiracy theories out on the table about the CIA, uh, he his very quick retort was, you're giving the CIA way too much credit. Um, a lot of the things that uh, I think Amy has summarized and the uh, uh, previous uh, uh, questioner uh, did uh, were in a lot of ways sort of giving too much credit or too much blame to the regulators for their interaction with the industry and so on. Um, the the lobby, this is an important point, is the lobbying efforts on the part of the crypto space are really very nascent. Um, while they have come a major distance in the last year or so, um, their ability to influence and have power in Washington is really uh, much less than I think what uh, the average viewer would think. And certainly with the decline in prices, that'll be even more so. Um, um, I, I think we just have generally systemic issues that we're dealing with. And I think, George, to your point about New York, why was it New York that took the action? Interestingly enough, New York has actually been the leader in a lot of actions in the financial services arena. When the federal feds have not acted in the past, that goes back to standard charter in 2012. Um, they even did a marker uh, with respect to Deutsche Bank in um, uh, 2016, uh, where, you know, if you're following the, and not to, to go into another topic entirely here, but, you know, follow the Trump issues around Deutsche Bank. Um, I think their concern in, in December of 2016 is that was going to get buried at the at, uh, uh, justice uh, once the administration changed. And they came out with a major order that had a lot of, 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 of markings if you went back to look on money laundering and other issues. So New York's always played a really interesting place in the space. And, uh, and, you know, this time last year or earlier, we had a change in administration, which always sets things back as people are getting their feet on the ground. Uh, there's a lot of just sort of complications, and I know it gets very frustrating. I get frustrated because I saw in 2008, uh, DOJ put a policy in place that had they applied that in the crypto space, we would have had a lot of the early players in crypto in jail then. Yeah, but, but, uh, but Carol, I have to interrupt you. I mean, listen, I understand it's a due process. I understand that laws can't, you know, Jerome Powell just can't wave his hand. Or Gary Gensler just can't wave his hand. They have to do hearings. There's got to be a legislative process follow. I get that. But there are also soft ways of putting the kibosh on these things. You know, when they went after Al Capone back in Prohibition times, they didn't, you know, they got him on, they got him on tax evasion, all right? There are easy ways to, to, to choke this thing off. You can you can block exit ramps and off ramps with banks. There are all kinds of things you can do, and they've done nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry. I, I give the federal government a major F 
on this whole thing. Gary Gensler is going to have blood on his hands. I mean, I mean, Luna already went down. Taylor's coming next. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I can't. I mean, I can't. I, see I one... agree with you, George. I think it's a major fail. I mean, how how can it not be? I mean, <laughs> it, so many people are getting hurt. Carol, I didn't let you. I was talking over you, Carol. Did you want to say something, Carol? Oh, I, I have so many things I could say. And and again, I I want to I want everyone to know that I sort of sit in the middle on this. Um, the more regulation there is, the better for me because I'm a lawyer. Um, uh, at the same time, I appreciate what's going on with respect to the technology, and I think that's one of the pieces. You know, there's a comment about well, if, if Bitcoin goes to zero, um, you know, uh, what would it actually mean from a systemic standpoint? I think we we continue to confuse, and this happens over and over again. The cryptocurrency as a currency, as a, as a as a um, representation of value, versus what's going on with the technology and the build out of the technology, and the vast majority vast array of, of different kinds of uses and tools and so on that the technology is bringing us. And I'm sorry, Carol. I, this is Amy. I don't follow you on the uses of the technology. I'm, you got me completely lost there. What, what specifically are you talking about? Um, I, I, this is, this is a much longer conversation. I would be glad to take that up. I, you know, I, I, I can talk a little bit about it now, but I can talk about it. You know, I, I don't think, I, I mean, different. there's, there, but, there, there, we're not even talking about any technology right now. We're talking about all these Ponzi's that have built up. Most I, of these projects are just, just empty promises. Oh, as so it that, was all through 2017 with the initial coin offerings, people would just kind of dream up some white papers, scribble up something the night before, and then and then do a coin offering and make, you know, millions of dollars, sometimes within the blink of an eye, sometimes, you know, just within 30 minutes, they would bring all this money in. And that went on and on and fueled the whole 2017 bubble until the regulators said, nah, no more, stop. And we saw another bubble build up. None of this has to do anything with any kind of technology. The only thing here that people are making money out of is the illegal security offerings and, and outside investors coming in, pouring billions of dollars in so they can generate, so they can support these projects, these projects that make these blitheringly empty promises. And, and they pump money into them so that they can get tokens in return and dump those on the retailers, on the public who don't fully understand what's going on who the regulators have not stepped up to protect and warn against these tokens. You know, why didn't the SEC warn people about GBTC? And so now we, you have so many people sitting with this garbage in their retirement accounts. I mean, it just, it just burns me. It really makes me angry. So I don't understand what you are talking about with the technology. It has nothing to do with anything that's falling apart now. No, I, there, there are there are many threads here, and uh, and it I mean is, this. What's happening now, Carol, is completely indefensible. Well, you know, it's like it's like trying to find the positive thing, you know, in in, in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi. Bernie uh, Madoff took people's money. There was no investment at all. Bernie Madoff. You know, I, I mean, these companies Bernie are falling apart Ponzi. because there is no cash because they have no money. Tether is going to be taken down, Carol, because there is no money behind that what time were we, 83 billion tethers at one point there is no money 
That's why we call these Ponzi schemes, because the only money that comes out is what new investors put in. And the reason everything is crumpling is because there are no longer any new investors. There's no more cash coming into the crypto, the, the whole crypto space. There's no more money. And, and, and the whole cryptoverse right now can't find any way to bring any new money in. You have Bitcoin miners cashing out right now because they've got to pay their electricity bills. There's no money to pay them. What you know? does a Bitcoin miner do? What is the purpose of a Bitcoin miner? The Bitcoin miner is running the machines that are running, that are supporting the network right. that the Bitcoin algorithm right. has created. That network mm -hmm. is being used to provide a mechanism for the the movement of information on a secure basis. The, the miners provide the security for the entire system. You have these miners sucking up a, a country's worth of energy so that they can they can win a lottery. Basically, they're guessing numbers. They're throwing. They're spewing out numbers. They're, they're using. They're consuming just an outlandish amount of energy. They're they're contributing to to, to, to global warming by just guessing numbers so they can win the opportunity to, to add the next block to the blockchain. And with that comes some newly uh, minted Bitcoin. Can, can 900 I... newly minted new Bitcoin each day, which they have to sell to pay for real business costs.